to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with your host, Kamen Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shop and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It means something. It means something. You know, that's my take on it. What's yours? Protonic Reversal! That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only... Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. Uh, so, hey, uh, we got a great guest today. They're, they're always great guests. You know, I'm not going to not going to lie. I'm not going to be overly, uh, you know, humble without merit about this. That's a you know that we have a lot. We talked to a lot of good people here. A returning guest and a very interesting fella. Very uh, storied and awesome musical discography, biography. Uh, just a downright hell of a nice guy as well, uh, Mr. Uh, Jeff Byron. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Conan. What an intro. Uh, yeah, I guess I could have mentioned any of the bands that you've been in too while I was <laughs> was bloviating on. <laughs> but really, we're just here to hang out. So yeah, we're, we're, we're just chilling. Uh, of course, the 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 most famous of which, uh, well, we'll, well, let's start with the new one, Wavebreaker. So, Wavebreaker is the new band. Let's start. Let's start with that, uh, which is sort of a continuation, uh, if you will, of uh, previous projects. Batwings, Catwings, kind of like a, a sequel, reimagining Kinda, yeah. a little bit of that. Uh, Turbo Lightning, the mighty Turbo Lightning, underappreciated band in the pantheon, and for a lot of people, best known for. The Meishi, which uh, kind of cut a cut a wide swath during the those those oddies, oddies is that is that a word the the aughts? What do you call the aughts? Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, I'm not missing anything, am I? That seems like you've got all your production, oh, your, your com- probably a hundred hundred other projects, but they're not worth mentioning. Yeah, uh, Meishi was the one that people probably would know if they know anything. Those well, were the days. Yeah, and uh, for good reason. I mean, you. You guys hit at a time where, you know, there were there was that kind of brief window in the two thousands where the weirdos were let in, and in a good way, mm-hmm. and you guys kind of hit on that, and did your did your thing with it, and then for some people, they probably are not even aware that there are other bands necessarily. Like they haven't necessarily followed along, which I always think is kind of weird, but then I'm also a complete nerd for that kind of thing. But just for the listening audience, can you, can you describe some of what you've been up to uh, musically, not just with bands, but with uh, you know, the composition, uh, that kind of stuff. Like what, what have you been up to Jeff? I don't remember what we talked about last time, by the way. And it's been a few years anyway. I don't remember a single yeah. thing we talked about. 
So it was probably 2015, last time I was on the show. That makes sense. And I'm actually professionally doing the same thing. Last time we talked a bit about, you know, being a music composer and writing music for TV and TV commercials and stuff, which is what I do, which is a weird thing for like a punk dude to be doing. But um, then again, I really love it because I'm still writing, just like I did in the Macy, I'm still writing 30 second songs. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm hoping that uh, people pay attention to them. So that's kind of what I do. You know, I, I teach music too. Um, and uh, yeah, I just work on projects. I'm lucky. I'm lucky enough to be able to work on projects pretty much for a living. And then in terms of rock music, Wavebreaker is the new thing. We call it a new thing. However, we've been doing it for probably almost three years now. Um, writing music, getting it out. It's kind of a different thing. You mentioned it's a continuation of Batwings, Catwings. It's kind of in that it's in that it's uh, me and Dana who are doing it, and Clay, the drummer. So it's three of three of the members of Batwings, Catwings. However, in terms of what the project is and what it means, it's a really a completely different thing. It's differently. It's differently. And I didn't yeah. mean to be reductive uh, when I said that. I, I meant more of a continuation with personnel. And I figured that we would totally uh, we would talk that it, it, there seems to be an explicit mission statement might be the wrong word, but there, there seems to be like an, an explicit message, like, like there's messaging here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a big, that was a big uh, thing we were thinking about when we decided to, well, make a new band. It was like, what is this, what is this thing that we're doing about? And that is kind of the, that's one of the reasons that I'm excited to be here. Well, and why don't you tell us a little bit about, about bit about the try that again? Why didn't you tell us a little bit about that, Jeff? Because this is real new as far as the listening audience. Again, you've you've been kind of percolating this for a while. You've been just sitting on it for a while. There, there's the the songs have been written, but for the listening audience that are listening live right now, this isn't even out yet. But it's going to be by the time most people listen to it, it will be right. Is that a reasonable assessment? Yeah, I sure hope so. And that's the plan. <laughs> uh, but tell us, tell us how it was conceived, kind of top to bottom, and how it, how and why it was delineated from uh, earlier bands and, and projects, and, and what led to that decision. Well, so if the Meishi was all about you know making art and acting crazy and throwing a party, and Batwings Catwings was also kind of like, hey, let's throw a party music. Right. When Wavebreaker, when we realized what we were doing, I don't know if it's not that we're more grown up now, but we realized that um, there's, and I say this being somebody who's just been a facilitator for all the music. I mean, I'm one white male in a band that is basically, um, you know, I'm I'm really proud to be able to to facilitate a project for two women of color that have the biggest message. Um, that's really my role in in the band and so that that's kind of what the what the band became about it was like there's a revolution you know let's call it a revolution in our minds and we need to make the revolution irresistible and that to me is what this music is about and it's not so the batwings catwings the meishi turbo lightning those were all projects i was extremely proud of because my ego was wrapped up into them and i think that Wavebreaker now is something where i can actually take a step back and say my voice isn't the the thing that needs to be heard i need to amplify and elevate these other people's voices and so that's been such a 
amazing experience for me. And that's why wave breaking, you know, we're writing songs about these things that we want to see happen, these changes we want to see in the world. Um, we are, we actually have part of the album is given to other people for their, you know, spoken word pieces or their other music that we want to have in there so other people can hear it. We're going to be promoting it in an entirely different way. So all of these things kind of make it a very different project and very different band. And yet we feel like the music is just as fun and energetic and exciting. It's not super angry and punk and political. It's actually, it's actually fun, uplifting, and we want people to feel inspired. So, right, like when listening to it, it doesn't feel like you're being th- like attacked with copies of the People's History of the United States necessarily or anything. Like it, it doesn't. It still has that party vibe in a way that it's fun to listen to. But it, if you listen, to it, you're like, oh wow, that's interesting. That's cool. It's supposed to be a celebration. Right. I think that's the way Dana would put it. And I guess one of the reasons why I'm, I'm kind of harping on that is a little bit is because uh, through all the bands, that, I'd say the through line for most of it has been that there is that kind of air of celebration, um, even when there's like a somber sort of element or something to it. So the idea of of kind of turning that on its head a little bit and, and being like, yeah, celebration, but what if also protest? Or what if also, you know, abjectly like energizing in, in a way for like political power beyond just uh, musical power? And of course... It, 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 it bears mentioning last time you were on uh, the mighty Dana was also on as well. Who's he's just a freaking powerhouse, like just incredible. Like I'm a huge Dana fan, as you well know. You got to have her on next. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. we should, we definitely should. Uh, and it's not often that you see that turn, that turn towards like, Hey, what can I do to like there was, okay, let's, let's put it this way. So there's a lot of like, when, I, mean, when I have a story. Yeah. Sure. So, no, so, so I was just going to say real quick to set it up that like, you know, during when Donald Trump got elected, there's a lot of like, well, Hey, your punk rock is going to be good again. Gert, 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 gert. That was like a pretty common, which like, Oh my God, shut up. But by the same token, there's, there's expectation of abjectly political music that it has to kind of fit a certain motif and has to fit a certain box. Uh, and then when people think of it, they think of stuff like The Clash or something along those lines. And it's, and it's um, you know, not that there's anything wrong with The Clash. Not that I'm dissing on The Clash or anything along those lines. Uh, but, like, having, like, kind of a strict idea of somebody sort of, <laughs> you know, what is, <laughs> what is Sleaford Moss I heard described as, like, uh, bass and drums with some, du- with some English dude yelling political stuff over it. And I thought that was hilarious. Uh, but this idea of empowering uh, not just women, but like, you know, women of color as well. And coming from that lived experience, I guess I just don't see that so much in punk rock or if I do, it's, it's outside my area of expertise. So that's a long way of saying, explain to me how Wavebreaker specifically came to be uh, the way that it is. And the story that you intended to tell with that before I uh, soliloquied for a while. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's a privilege to being able to make, you know, punk rock to be to to say I'm going to be in a band, I'm going to tour, and I'm going to play play parties and 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 punk clubs and stuff like that. In the Meishi, I I it was the year that um, George Bush was reelected. Could that possibly be? Was that 2004? Yeah, that that sounds right. Okay, so Bush got reelected, and we were on Five RC subsidiary of Kill Rock Stars. That was this was the Meishi. And Slim Moon, the the, uh, the the owner of Kill Rock Stars, sent everybody a mass email, and he was really this this really stuck with me. He was really disappointed in 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 all of the bands 
in like that we are sort of we are people who are looked up to by our you know fans people who love music and we did not choose to use that influence to get people excited about a different candidate and we ended up i mean it was like we kind of fell short and i remember i was i i felt my first reaction was like well that's not what music's about music is art for art's sake you can't you know make it political if it's not and I thought about that stuck with me a long time because I didn't think he was right until I realized that, holy shit, man, what a privilege I have to say that art is for art's sake and I can separate those two at all. And and that's kind of like what what the difference between um, Batwings, Catwings and Weightbreaker is. I mean, besides that there's different members of the band and stuff. It's like all of a sudden I realized that this is the most important thing. This message is so much more important than 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 the music i guess i mean it is it's the most important thing so which um, isn't to say that the the you know the music is lacking or anything along those lines far from it but it but it's it definitely it's 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 message music without it being overtly hey dummy this is a message yeah <laughs> well, you know what i would love i would love it if everybody in the world could just make art and music for the sake of making art and music i wish that would be the goal but like you know if we're going to be doing it we might as well be singing about things that we love and want other people to love too and things that we hate and things that we want people to know about so yeah so it is a little political it is a little protest but we also you know the the the, I mean, we still put just as much time and energy into the music i mean we've been doing it for 30 years or whatever or i have um so it's uh that that we we knew was going to be awesome but uh and of course music music takes on a completely different thing once you're actually singing about things you care about which i didn't realize until i was a little bit older because i loved singing about garbage you know like i love <laughs> i loved writing music that was absolutely about absolutely nothing like i mean a lot of that music in, 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 and like mythology, a lot of music in, yeah you know, yeah oh yeah i mean like what we may she wrote a song about a dolphin you know yeah, it's like yeah. uh, why not I, that was an that was a war protest song actually to come with a dolphin but um but still it was like we would often just kind of flip through wikipedia and go ah, i think we'll write a song about this thing yeah so uh, do you find that when writing the music, knowing that you're having these more serious and kind of heady concepts behind it, uh, that like you're, you're, it's carrying this message forward. Do you think differently about the arrangement? Like, does it give you pause maybe for. That's even- a really good question. Um, at, well, like the answer that I have to that is, is kind of similar to, you know, Let's put it this way. Um, I'm I'm one of five songwriters in the band. And like I said, my, my role right now is to facilitate. So I kind of look at, I mean, I still want, I, you know, I, I don't know if it really does. It, it definitely affects the, the structure of the music and, and the, but it's not like, it's not like I think about, you know, what's the best way to get people riled up at a protest or something like that. I'm not like <laughs> thinking about the use of the music in that way. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm, we're making music that we think is fun and that we want to play, and the the message just kind of comes through, and it's mostly uh, it's mostly through Dana's voice, and that's where that mostly comes through. And what a what a you know what a powerful what a thing yeah. to, to, <laughs> to, awesome. to hear from from uh, you know a a Filipina woman screaming in a, in a punk band. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, who who has the 
who has the goods, frankly, who, who, who can, you know, like, it's not like, Hey, it's fun to watch. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, like we're, 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 we're in a situation where the messenger and the, and the music kind of intertwined, uh, quite a bit and whether you want it to be or not, but the idea of kind of having this unified, this unified force uh, for the music. I mean, do you think about it even in terms of like, Hey, what best serves the lyrics? Like, do you change the arrangement uh, at all in, in regards to that? Well, that's also Dana's magic. Uh, I mean, her lyrics t- to me are, I, I, yeah, she has, I mean, she has a way of, of making great sounding lyrics full of meaning. And sometimes I will try to help with so I help her with that, but that's, I mean, I, I, it's rare that I can affect the vocals and make them better than what Dana does. Um, so she, like, we, we, we produce, we write, we write, record, produce, uh, even master a lot of the stuff ourselves. So a lot of the music production and the songwriting happens at the same time in the studio, in the room that I'm in right now, where we'll be up until three in the morning right. working on l- lyrics or something. So, and that's something that you do a lot. You're you're very comfortable in that process because you do it in other aspects of your life as well. But is that something where do you ever feel like you get a little bit too in your head on things? Or do you ever feel like, you know, okay. All the time. <laughs> like, All the time. Like, is this good? The king of being in my head, yeah. <laughs> I don't even oh, know. Man. What, what is music? <laughs> I haven't worked with like a producer or even another engineer in so long that um, – I don't even remember what it's like. I, I would love to be able to just focus on the music. I mean, I got into music production as a necessity. It wasn't something that like I was interested in it, but I didn't really even want to do it professionally. I wanted to write music, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to like, uh, you know, operate a studio really. I just ended up doing desire to, to ride the faders, so to speak. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I like gear as much as the next person, but uh Yeah. I, I always wanted it to just be the musician. So recording music, music production was just something that I had to, had to figure out. Was there ever a moment on the run up to wave breaker where you're just like, Hmm, this party needs to have a theme. <laughs> like, did you ever have like a, just an epiphany moment earlier? Uh, with, uh, with other bands or like, yeah, uh, yeah. Like meaning, cause like, I mean the, the, the big thing, like we, most of the same personnel, right. But you had Batwings, Catwings going and that was, that was a concern that was, it was, had its own audience, had its own kind of modus operandi. Yeah. Most of the differentiation for me was in the, the projects and personnel, like you said. So Turbo Lightning, a lot of people would get Batwings, Catwings confused with turbo lightning because it's both me and dana and it's dana's voice and some of my voice and <laughs> right it's got guitars in it I and mean, most people are like how do you have like i can't tell the difference between your bands but uh you know turbo lightning had had zach lewis in it and uh and aaron and that was just a for, for me the music sounds completely different but i guess just that's just nuance um i mean i would say yeah. that's actually probably the most underrated band of of, you, of the pantheon that I can think of, and the fact turbo that I think lighting. it absolutely deserved. Yeah, I think I think Turbo deserved a little bit of a more of an audience. There's another, there's another meaning. To, there's another way I think about some of these, this this music, and it's very uh, egocentric. It's very, um, <laughs> it's kind of the reason is because it's all associated with me and what I was going through in my life, and and how that changed the music that I was playing and all those things. Sure. All and and most of that is not what Wavebreaker is about. 
but turbo lightning that was a that was a time in my life where i was still getting clean and sober so that kind of it was you know the, the music took on a lot of that even if it's not explicit in the lyrics which it is but um even if it wasn't it still had that meaning for me and that's what most music that i've made in my life has been just an expression of you know whatever my experience and whatever i'm going through but uh, that's getting pretty philosophical well it is but that's okay you've heard the show the, <laughs> the, the well the and the idea of you know with with finding your sobriety and, and the path back to that it kind of seems like you hit almost like like a uh, like a force multiplier uh, of creativity once you kind of locked back in right i mean it's from, from an outside oh, perspective man. that's what it looked like anyway yeah i mean like the story the story went i had stopped a touring and playing with the may she to get clean and sober and i almost immediately started up a project with uh with with reagan Farquhar, who is a bus driver the rapper in la and we started a band called physical forms and all of my energy went into that so it was just like yeah and from then on forth i from from then forth like every single day was creating something i mean i was writing music every single day so that is really yeah that is a force multiplier for sure <laughs> i don't know why I have video games in mind but that's what I, that's what i was thinking of and maybe it's the whole game stop uh economic justice thing <laughs> oh man well i don't think we need to talk about that there's enough podcasts talking about uh, no no I, I, I can't wait to see the uh the limited <laughs> series on hbo about this or whatever or at very at very least the episode of billions where it's referenced it's it's crazy uh, but i think that it's something that's uh, notable that uh you know you said something last time and sorry i did remember something from last time uh specifically about you know kind of the creative process going more into kind of like putting in the work rather than uh, mm -hmm. waiting for like divine inspiration to strike. Like, you know, instead of like the lightning bolt being hit or hit you or something. Oh yeah. I wonder if that, I wonder if my opinion on that has changed since it's uh, I love that question. Yeah. Do you, well, when you're a music composer, you have to know how to turn it on and turn it off. That's for sure. Yeah. And I actually have little tricks. I have got, things that I do to turn it on and turn it off. Yeah. Well, Sometimes it's as simple as that. Like, first I'll light this candle and right. then uh, I'll clean my room. No, actually when it comes to music, if I need to write something and I need to write it by tomorrow or I only have a few hours, then I, then I will think what's my tempo? Like what, what, what rhythm am I working with? I'll start there and then I'll kind of work together. I'll work towards a melody and work towards harmony and stuff like that. So you start off kind Not of with personally. the, with the, the pacing and the rhythm and kind of work your way up. This is uh, like a lot of my students ask me, how do I, how do I write if, if uh, you know, I've got writer's block and something my mom taught me was just set your place up, you know, like get your work tools in order, create the session on your computer, give it a title, yeah. G giving things a title makes things just flow. I used to, yeah, sometimes I would just title something, just any random thing, you know, and, right. and then lyrics would come out of that or something, but yeah. I think that's very interesting because I, I, that's something I feel like that's been applied. Uh, I, I've heard that applied to other things that are not uh, music composition and things along those lines as well. But it, it mm -hmm. does seem to sort of like that, you know, 75% of getting there is like getting there, like making sure that, you know, yeah. you have this uh, yeah. structure in place. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that I do with that is I, I give myself, um, I, 
I allow myself to make something really terrible. I basically say I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to make something just really terrible. I just got to make something. If I have that, if I have to force it out, you know, just say like, it's fine. In fact, I'm going to try to make the worst possible music for this. You know, I'm going to go out of my way to make it bad. And, and I think that was something I learned in college was like writing a paper. How did I write a paper? I don't know. Start by writing the worst paper you possibly can. And then maybe you'll end up writing something good by the end. I mean, do you ever fail at making the worst thing ever and make something awesome? Or is it, do you think it's usually mostly, I mean, failure achieved check mark. It's a pretty, it's a pretty common thing for me to be working on it, on a job. And I'm talking like writing a jingle for, for yeah. a commercial or something where like, I'll spend two days writing something that's supposed to be perfect. And then at the end of that, I'll just spend half an hour working on some, some garbage that turns out to be what everyone likes or something <laughs> like that. Well, that's, that's often the way it goes. Yeah, and, and I guess what, I, what I'm dancing around is that, you know, I, I feel that there's very little in the way of objective truth with music and creativity. But when you're doing compositional work for, you know, for other other things, like it's, it's, it's work to uh -huh. order. And someone can maybe have ideas in their head about, hey, I want it to sound like this. And then you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what <laughs> like, oh yeah, no. There's there's all kinds of uh, like communication issues when you're dealing with people who, especially if they're people who like you're talking about like a producer who wants things to sound a certain way and they're using. Yeah, the one I get all the time that I think is interesting is when people say they want it to sound youthful or sophisticated <laughs> or something like youthful but sophisticated is the one I I think of off the top of my head. I'll throw a harp in can, there. Can we make it have mean? swagger? Can we make it have swagger? Yeah. yeah. But you know, this is this is re relating this to well, the Wavebreaker stuff. It's like, uh, yeah, I I do make music, and I've got to turn on that creativity really quickly. And Wavebreaker is a thing where we've been working on this album for three years, yeah. and so we've gone through every iteration of these songs, and we've practiced them live, we've played them live, we've we've like you know tested them amongst ourselves and other people. We've gone through different versions of the lyrics. So they are really just still a process, very, very different. And uh, and luckily it's like, yeah, like I said, what me, my job in the band is to kind of make, make sure that things happen, make, you know, uh, amplify voices basically, that's what I'm here to do. So um, we've got you know, four, five songwriters in the band trying to make that all, to, all go together and get all them, the songs produced and, and recorded and all that. Yeah, and it's the, in result being, you know, something, someone that's not saying like, make it pop necessarily, you know, like it's a different, it's a different situation when you're, when you, when you got that going on and you're trying to, uh, serve, serve the audience, serve the audience on, uh, uh, your own composition versus, uh, you know, serving the audience on your own composition versus something made to order maybe uh, or, or song replacement is, is kind of like the most like soulless of, of that uh, I feel personally. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, here's hey, the thing about being Black a Keys song that we won't pay for. Yeah. Uh, that happens all the time. Or it's like, uh, there's, there's a process. It's a, uh, here's, here's the black keys song here. We don't want you to sound like this. We make something that sounds original yeah. to make sure it doesn't sound like this. And then you go through like 10 iterations of the song bringing it back to sounding exactly like the black keys or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Now, in the end, that's what, that's why they said so they wanted the U2 song that they couldn't afford or whatever. Yeah. They, yeah, they wanted do a that lot of song, that. but they didn't want the lawsuit is what they want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or they didn't want to pay one for thing it. that One thing that took me a long time to, to realize in that industry is 
when people are hiring you to create music, they're they're more often hiring you for your taste and what your your creative input is in that way. They they're not looking for some sort of technical thing. I learned that a little later when I was writing music for for film and TV. Because I try to write something that I thought the director would like, yeah. and that was the wrong way about it. I should have just been writing something that made the story better. Like that's took me a while to figure out that ah, I'm just another storyteller on the team. That's my job is using music to influence the emotion that that you feel when you watch it. Which yeah. that, that's the that's the key to good music direction as well as composition. You know, and, and totally. I think there's people that have made careers that still haven't figured that out, frankly. But that's <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Uh, but it's yeah. it's a. Do you find that working on your own stuff gets affected by that? Um. Well, it's hard to say yes or no because you know, I'm sure it does subconsciously. Uh, if anything, I think working in music. And particularly this industry, and most of my work is is for adver- as advertisements. So it's a lot of the advertising industry, and that might yeah. sound gross, but in a way, I prefer that over the film and entertainment and TV industry because it's kind of a different thing. Um, but but like that that work makes it so that when I do have something that I just want to express, when I do just want to make art. I usually don't have any inhibitions about it. I'm really, it's easy for me to get going really fast. So it's like, yeah, if I, when I do want to create, I, you know, I know, I know a lot of artists and I used to be like this when I was a kid, it was hard for me to have like a writing session. Things had to, the stars had to align the right way in order. It goes back to the inspiration and also just like, you know, some people think that I, uh, I'll, I can't, I can't write the right music until I have the right equipment or something. I have the right, I need the right tools in order to write. I need my studio set up. I need my the guitar I usually play or what whatever. And uh and I think having having a job where I am required to write music uh it means that when I when I want to do something for myself there isn't any friction at all. It's just go. Yeah, all, all the friction is in my head. <laughs> well, I think I think back to it might have been like some documentary or something with Nick Cave like, you know, he wakes up in the morning you know, has his coffee, puts on his suit and tie, and then he goes to the piano. And like, that's like his, and like, sometimes it's, he gets something out of mm-hmm. it. Sometimes he doesn't. I just like the, I just like to envision Nick Cave, like putting on a suit in the morning and then like going to the piano. Yeah. Like, All right. Let's see what we, let's see what we can pull off here. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's, that sounds like an awesome job, actually. I'm just yeah, going to yeah. get dressed and, and go play. <laughs> I, I probably should do that more. I probably should uh, wake up in the morning and go, what am I going to write today? Well, um, well, what? So with the with the Waybreaker stuff, uh, there there's more intent, which isn't to say that the other the other stuff like lacks intent necessarily. But there's so much intent with the lyrics. Does it do concepts ever come first, or is it more like the concept follows the creativity with the with the music and the arrangement when it starts coming into being? Uh, concept, you mean in terms of a lyrical content? Yeah. I mean, D- Dana usually knows what she's going to write the lyrics about, and that uh, sometimes it's a sometimes that's part of the music writing process, and sometimes it's not. But yeah, um, oh, we we uh, you we you really need to talk to Dana. She's uh, well, we'll have yeah. Dana on. You, I mean, the records 
I can talk to you guys after the record's out too, you know? Totally. <laughs> um, I'm actually I think I've that, been that, trying that, to, that, for whatever it's worth, I've actually been trying uh, in the last year or so to up the amount of non-white dude guests. Uh, yeah. We yeah. all need to be pushing towards diversity, that's for sure. And it's something where uh, it, it's been not as, as like, I'm going to be the podcast that does this. It's just, it's just sort of like, that's, of course I should be doing that. And like, cause yeah. I had the epiphany of, I was like, why has the last 20 guests been dudes? That sucks. Like they're all white dudes. <laughs> I mean, I have to say I was a little self-conscious about coming on your show, representing the band being another white guy, because it's like, I, I, I mean, this is, I, I actually really wanted to talk about this because what, you know, I talk about my role in, in the record. What is my role just in terms of the entire progressive movement? Um, and I think that uh, we, I'm not going to be a person who says I'm going to speak up for, you know, um, for marginalized people. I'm not going to be their voice. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to the other white dudes and say, hey, we got to <laughs> change the way we're doing things. I mean, that's my responsibility is to make make sure we stop being assholes, I think. Like, that's the way I see it. Uh and because, just more thoughtful. Yeah. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not gonna. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm not gonna be. Uh, yeah. I'm. I'm not gonna be a. Uh, you know, white knight or whatever. All I can do is try to keep people from being as terrible as they've been f- through the last few hundred years in this country. But so. that said, you know, if there are people that maybe, you know, listen to your old band and they they got a lot out of it and they kind of want to check in and see where you're at, then if you're like, hey, I'm in this awesome band that you know, is, is, is doing this awesome thing. That's, that's a pathway in that maybe wouldn't have been there before. And if you're, if you're in a band, that's not just like, Hey, we're making cool music and doing this cool thing. But it's like, no, we're making cool music, doing this cool thing and trying to advance a cause, like trying to like yes. do something. Trying to point better. out white supremacy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and people listen to the music and go, Oh wow. I didn't know that, uh, that was considered white supremacy. And it's like, yes, it is. Now we, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially because I, uh, you know, not to get into like a high-minded critique of, of, uh, you know, this, this, that, and the other, but the, not to get like, again, not to get, not to get too high-minded about it, but, uh, I think that like we're in a situation, there's a lot of talk about a lot of different things and so much of it's kind of, so much it's for like lack of a better term, scoldy, <laughs> if that makes sense, like scolding, like kind of like from a scolding perspective. I, I kind of doubt that the uh, efficacy of uh, kind of being a scolding-based economy advances power and advances change. And I think that, again, this is a way right. larger question that we're going to solve in this on this show, to be clear. Uh, but I think the idea of sort of almost, for lack of a better term, leading by example and, and kind of making it like, oh, cool, if that's something to think about that's tied to this thing that like, hey, that's a rad hook. <laughs> you know, that's a rad like part to sing along. That's mm-hmm. that's an approach that uh, I've got a lot of time for that personally because I think that that's I would like to see more of that rather than the uh, the woke scolding where it's like yeah you're correct but you're being a real dick about this and you're not really gonna you're you're not going to bring yeah. anybody along in that way yeah and that's that was part of I think the inspiration for making a record that was you know sounded I mean it's more joyous than it is angry protest music. I mean, there's a there's a there's a few songs on the on the record where we're pretty fired up about stuff, but you listen to it, it's a pop it's a pop rock record, you know. It it's fun to yeah, sing yeah. along with, and it and it's it's a, it, it's intended to make you feel appreciative of life and not 
that everybody who isn't us is doing things wrong. So yeah, not, not for that. that that's a, it, it's something that I kind of, I kind of wish there were more people mining <laughs> really, yeah. like, you know, making it like, like, like when I look back on the, you know, all these myriads of documentaries about how great the sixties were. The one thing that I've started to notice in recent years is like, Oh no, that looks like fun. And like, why is like so, so much of advancing like important political causes these days, like just seem joyous. Like it's sort of like, uh, it's such a drag. <laughs> not, that, not that you <laughs> yeah, should not entice people with a good time necessarily. And, and not that I'm like, you know, I have endless eye rolls for the, um, uh, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll motif as as uh, the modus operandi, the only one that works. But I just find it interesting that like we've 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 changed again to this model of kind of shaming people almost in a way. Like, well, if that worked, cool. But I I just don't. I think it just puts people on their on their on like on the back foot sometimes. And it's not the. It shouldn't be the only tool in the toolbox. I guess is what I'm trying to get at. I think the way I would probably say this is that um, I agree that that scol- that scolding culture is probably not good, but we do need to call things out, and we do need to we we you know when I say when I say the words white supremacy, I mean we need to normalize that, and we need for people to hear it, even though that might make them uncomfortable. Like those are important, and I don't think it's really scolding, but it is bringing these things to the forefront so they're not hidden behind you know hundreds of years of of, uh, you know, whatever. And also to realize that it's not a personal attack on that person, but it's also something that, you know, it goes beyond culturally. Like it's, it's so pervasive that uh, somebody of a certain ilk, someone that looks like you or I wouldn't necessarily even know it unless they are forced to think about it. Yeah. I, I mean, so I, one of the things that I learned a lot about this hosting podcast, actually, which is something you inspired me to do a few oh. years ago. I, uh, I I I took up the microphone and I started uh, I started podcasting. I started a few different podcasts and I kind of got addicted to it. And I feel like that is something that um, that I learned doing that and just talking to people. The um, like you you point things out over and over again, and people just start to get used to to hearing it. They're no more for they're they're no longer foreign ideas. That's when you can really start to have a conversation about change, because when you're not speaking the same language as somebody else, then I mean you're never going to agree on on things because you're yeah. not speaking the same language. If you don't have an agreed upon set of facts to begin with, you're going to have a hard time advancing anything, even in conversation. Yeah, yeah for sure. Have you so what so with doing the podcast and mm-hmm. what, what have you learned by being on the other side of the microphone, so to speak with that? Oh man, I learned so much about myself and other people and being a host and, and, and using my voice and also just like, um, I mean, it's in, in some ways it's like being in a band and it's, you know, it's a, it's a production thing. This, this is such a cool show because it is, it's live. It's off the cuff. It's, um, it's uh, casual, but then it's still traditional in that you, we starts with a theme song and then you, there's an opening <laughs> and all this stuff. And that's so cool. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I started podcasting because it was really because I was interested in, in a couple um, communities 
and I didn't I didn't know how to meet people on them. So I thought I'll start a podcast. And actually, I did it with with music composers too. It was like I wanted to get more work in in composing for film and TV. So I was like, well, I know a lot of friends that do it. So why don't I interview them and I'll record the interviews and then I'll share them with other people. And before I knew it, I was making friends with all these people, all these sure. people that I had yeah. I had a network with. Like you know this, uh, you really you must know this. Your network has grown, you know, it's huge. You can actually, you know, email your favorite uh, your your idols probably and say, "Hey, what's up?" So that was one of the things that I thought was really special is that when you when you when you talk to somebody intending to record that conversation and share it with the world it's kind of a spiritual experience i mean you are like it's it, even if you're disagreeing with them you are you are you're meeting them on their level you're basically becoming peers or friends or whatever you want to call it and i think that was one of the most that was one of the coolest things i realized and i was like man i want everybody to be able to do this everybody who has an interest that they want to share with the world i wanted everybody to have that experience and be able to meet people all over the world. And the fact that now, you know, we're using Zoom and we're remote, we're not in the same room. Everybody can do this. It, you don't have to, you don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to live in the same country with, uh, you don't have to live in the same town as the person that you want to interview and you don't have to fly to go see them. So now everybody can have those experiences. And that, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's basically why I built the app that I'm working on right now. I was going to say, you're, you're giving yeah. yourself the perfect lead up because, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's all this technology and, uh, you know, a frequent mm -hmm. thing that I hear from people that are looking to start their own show is like, you know, hey, how, like, from a logistical standpoint, how can I do this? And I think you've, you've come up with a really cool answer that even makes it more democratic. Uh, in its way, in the fact that like it low it lowers the barrier yeah. of entry so much. So, can you tell tell us a little about this app that you developed? Yeah, you're ready for Silicon Valley right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So when I started, we're gonna disrupt the podcast economy. Really, <laughs> we're gonna democratize podcasting. Um, no, when, I mean, our, uh, yeah, whatever. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so you know, I um, I like I'm an audio engineer. It's pretty easy for me to set up a microphone and record. It was really hard to get guests. But the biggest issue with starting a podcast was: Do I really need a faster computer? Do I really need a mixer? Do I really need a new microphone? Why can't I just do this on my phone? Why can't I just call somebody up and record it? with them. Oh, I guess I can do that with Zoom, but the sound quality is terrible. And, uh, and there's, you know, a couple other apps that make, they're just really goofy. So I thought like, I just, we need to make a, a multi-track recording app for your phone where you can just invite a guest to your call and record it, have it on multiple tracks, be able to do a quick mix on your phone and upload it right away. So it's a push button podcasting solution is what it is. And I did, I did want to democratize. I did want to bring that experience to as many people as I could. Yeah. Well, and, and I, th I think back at the, the various iterations of what I've had to put together hardware wise to do this show, uh, all of which are way more Battlestar Galactica than they are Star Trek. Let's be clear. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I, it's, it's such a big part of my life that I've, you know, I invested, I have like a high quality mixer. Like I've got, you know, high quality, this, that, and the other. And specifically that's because, okay, this has become something that's taken on, you know, I've done it long enough that it's become a part of people's lives. And like, there's some, there's some stake to it. So it's, it's, 
certainly worth the investment of time. That said, it took me six years to buy like a, a mic that wasn't like a Beta 58, that, the same one I used for like singing vocals in the band. I was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I guess I could just ask for this for my birthday and that would be a pretty good present for someone that's incredibly hard to shop for. And, uh, but the thing that always kind of got me when I was starting, I was like, why is this so difficult? I shouldn't have to like, you know, be examining the Zabruder film <laughs> to try to figure out how to do this. Like, why is this so difficult? And it always kind of made me, made me think about it, like, well, what do you really need? Well, you really just need like, you know, okay. If you're, if you're an interview show, such as this one, you need one person talking and the other person talking. You shouldn't need to buy a bunch of equipment for that. Why is why is there this barrier of entry for it? And for me, I you know it's mostly been hardware solutions. I have my things at work most of the time, and uh, you know that works for me. But I wouldn't recommend it to anyone because I'm like this is crazy. Like what I do is freaking crazy. Like it looks like the TARDIS in here. Yeah. There's things like hanging down. There's like <laughs> cables. There's wow, ooga, ooga. You know, like don't do what I do. Don't yeah. do it. And so many podcasting setups are look like that and they yeah. sound great and that's awesome. But really, yeah, you need two people talking and you need a way to record that. And then you need an easy way to publish that. And so streamlining all of that was my goal and being able to do it all on your phone. Now, that's that, uh, that's the thing that blows my mind is that you were able to do it all from like one mobile device, which my, my battery is almost completely dead, like an idiot. So otherwise I'd be doing it on my side for this too. Sorry. Well, I mean the, you know, the, People think, oh, yeah, but you can't use your phone. It's going to sound like crap. Well, you know, it's not the best microphone in the world on a phone, but it's not actually that bad. It's not as bad as you would think because it doesn't, the, what you normally associate with a telephone, the telephone sound yeah. is is the limit of the telephone bandwidth. And, uh, and this, the Bandcast, the app, is not recording over any sort of medium like that. It records directly to your phone. So two phones talking to each other, it records locally. So you don't, you get perfectly, perfectly good, clean sound, even with a small microphone, it still sounds really good. And, uh, and then some post-production processing on the end of it to make it sound a little bit better. Recorded directly to your phone, so no internet drops or anything too. So. Which, which is, yeah, that, that's another key thing of, you know, latency, you know, whatever. If you're mm-hmm. like a parent, your kid gets on is trying to do Minecraft or whatever the kids are up to. <laughs> And suddenly, like, you're, you start getting, like, a robot voice and stuff like that. I, I think it's interesting that you were able to sort of solve that kind of by going down, back to basics of just, like, you know, okay, that's what do you need? Well, you need two people talking. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why don't we just use the thing that people talk on? <laughs> so now there is a lot. <laughs> what a concept. This guy's using you know, the thing actually, that people talk on. I have something to say about that because one of the things that has been really interesting in doing the testing of this app and, and getting people to to record podcasts on it is, man, do people open up when they forget that they're recording? And it's really easy to forget that you're recording if you're on the thing that you talk on all the time. Yeah. People just yeah. think I'm talking on the phone. It's like, oh, by the way, I'm recording this conversation, so you know. It's like, okay, then we go off and talk about, I mean, I'm talking to a bunch of like, you know, I'm talking... I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about people. I'm talking to people that I might want to invest in this project, and they're telling me their stories of investing, and like they they forget that we're recording because it's so, so natural, it's so transparent. Right. So you're right about that. You know, why not just use the thing that we're used to talking talking on? And then like, yeah, I mean, it's um, and and I I hope that I hope that people use it. I mean, the, the, here's the limitations to it, right? You you when you record something like this, it's not too hard to make it just immediately publishable. 
but then you don't really get the theme song then you don't get the bumper music you know it's like there's all the stuff that goes into a production of a podcast that you're starting (laughs) right so uh, with bandcast you are able to download the individual tracks so you can edit and mix professionally if you want i normally don't talk about this technical stuff but since you're this is a protonic reversal. I feel like it, people know what I'm talking about. This, when I this, say this is definitely, recording. yeah, this is the audience for it for sure. And, right. And, and so you, I think it's interesting enough that you please, by all means, yeah, hit me. Yeah. So you can access those individual tracks if you want to mix professionally and, and, and edit. But the thing that I discovered was that people actually like still having the casual conversation and uploading that. It's like uh, you know the 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 new app that ever the new social media that everyone's talking about is Clubhouse right now. I don't know if you or your listeners know much about Clubhouse, but Clubhouse is just an audio chat app. It's like it's really like you you it's like you the open old the party app. line uh, telephone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like the old party line. It's like the AOL chat for voice. Yeah. Like Aid sex location. Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So you go into these you go into these chat rooms and you just have casual conversations with random people and then, you know, because it, they're turning into a type of social media, you get followers and you follow other people and people become influencers and there's all of that, but that there's a new there's a new interest in casual chat and um and people have I mean, so we're tapping into that a little bit is uh you know, you, you record a conversation on your phone, you share it with the world and it's like you find people on the other side of the planet. They're interested in what you're talking about. And that's almost a different thing than podcasts. That's just recorded chat. It, it, it is. And it's, I mean, it reminds me of just, you would have blown my mind years ago if you would have said that there are people that were interested in watching other people play video games on the internet. I'm like, really? Yeah. Really? Totally. Ooh, who would do that? And then it turns out, oh, lots of people actually want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a whole I art to it. And, there, and, there, and there's a, you know, you know, even if it's not your thing, it's sort of like, I get it where it's like, oh, no, that's cool. Like they've developed like a language and a lexicon that they that they use for that in a way that interacts with that community. And, uh, you know, it just sort of reminds like it, it made me realize that my initial reaction to that was sort of getting the initial re- reaction to starting this podcast. Like, oh, po- whatever. I don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> OK, fine. Do you not own a TV, too? Cool. Can't wait to hear about it. Can't wait for you to tell me about it. And I think that that's something where you can really delineate between people that are kind of stuck in their ways, maybe, and people that are sort of like open to new ideas. And I think it's interesting that, I I mean, I'm amazed that like, like the app is great. I'm amazed that something like this hasn't existed before. Like, frankly, I'm like, this seems so freaking obvious, but it's (laughs) not not, not to sound reductive. There's a reason. (laughs) Yeah. There's a reason. That's, it was really, really hard to build. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's a, the reason that it's hard to build something like this is because, well, for a few reasons, but one is that it's, it's illegal to record somebody without them knowing. So legality issues with that. Correct. Apple, Apple and Google and Android make it really difficult to record on your phone. If it thinks you're having a phone call, it just blocks you. So that's why the app itself doesn't work that way. It works more as like a voice memo app that syncs with somebody else's. So it's, it's kind of unique in the technology. And that's one of the reasons that, and it's just, it's, there's so many ways for audio to fail. I mean, I, most podcasters I know don't even like recording on a computer because they don't trust computers because they crash. So in order to like to put I, I something back on up your everything phone, in three places immediately after every show, just, 
Yeah. <laughs> for that so to like, <laughs> I mean, I'm recording this on my side just because I know what it's like to have to to when you lose when you lose yeah. content like that. So hey, it's to, a power to, outage. Hey, you know, like whatever. You know. Oh my god. It's, it's art. In fact, we had a power outage the other night while I was recording, and luckily I didn't. We didn't lose anything because, I mean, when the it's 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 hard to to um, prepare for any of those failure modes on a phone. That's what we call it, failure modes, when we're building software. But like, there's so many things. Like you could get a notification. You could accidentally close the app. You could open up YouTube. You could get a you know. You could accidentally accidentally hit the Siri button. All of these things that you do on your phone. Yeah. You know, most people are usually like multitasking. Like, imagine trying to multitask on the computer that you're recording or the device that you're recording on. Like, you, if you're if you're a recording engineer, you're like, no, don't do that. Just let yeah. the machine record. <laughs> let don't let try the to thing do, do the thing it's it. intended to do. Yeah, exactly. So but... uh, there are people who are going to use Bandcast and think like, well, why can't I watch YouTube and host a podcast at the same time? Yeah, <laughs> and check my Instagram yeah. messages and yeah. like also tweet out some. Like, you know, it's like, okay, well, yeah. sure, if that's. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it it was the challenge was making something that worked on a phone and then made and then worked on a phone the way people use phones because people don't think of their phones as recording devices. But well, and that's that's something yeah. I think that is uh, incredibly smart about it because the the predominant mindset with technology and this this is this is straight up an Apple thing. And this is especially it was, it was a Steve Jobs thing of like no, don't do it that way, do it this way. We want you to do it this way. So this is the way you will do it now. Like almost this like authoritarian sort of like this this is this way's better. Do it this way. Mm-hmm. And expecting the user to modify their behavior because of that. And then you had sort of, then you had the the vision, the visionary part of it kind of went away and just the third authority figure no do it this way uh, stuck around. So the idea of actually accommodating knowing full well that like, you know, people are going to do what they do it's 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 a mundane genius in in its, in its way you know what i mean like it's like oh yeah well, of course they are that's awesome yeah <laughs> yeah no you're right yeah yeah so like re- like really quick the way the app works is you open the app and you send an invitation to whoever you want to be on your podcast and then you click record and start recording and i think one of the really uh important use cases for this is going to be established podcasters that have their workflow and their setup they need to deal with guests yeah it's just a breeze because there's going to be a desktop version of bandcast that you can run on your studio machine then you all you have to do is you know send a link to your guest and they don't have to deal with a microphone or headphones or you know logging into some site that breaks down every time you try to record with it or whatever <laughs> right so, exactly yeah. that's uh yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And you know what? I mean, like all of this, like, yeah, I love plugging Bandcamp. I love plugging the thing that I'm working on, but really like it's being able to, that, I mean, the, for me, there's nothing more valuable than giving, giving somebody a platform to talk with, especially when they're, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't get to talk very often. And I think that's kind of a, a moral to what I'm doing here as well as what I'm doing with Wavebreaker. Um, and uh, and so I feel like I'm really lucky to be able to do that. I'm really lucky to have to created something that is a creation tool itself. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what people do with it. Maybe people will do something very different than record podcasts. I don't really know. <laughs> I, mean, I hope so. <laughs> you never know. And it, it just reminds me of the fact that when quarantine started, mm-hmm. you know, all these people kind of started up the the shows that are basically like Instagram Live. 
It's like two people talking on Instagram Live, just literally talking to each other, even with, mm-hmm. oh, oh, wait, hold on. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, okay. They're on now. Oh, hey, what's going on? You know, like the first two minutes of each one is just a horror show of like, you know, trying to get the other person to connect. Right. And mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. I love it personally. I love no, it. No, it, it's, it, it's, 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 I actually find it very charming. And, and maybe that's, you know, something that other professional broadcasters maybe wouldn't wouldn't feel but i was i was like no this is adorable because like what what yeah. is once it, once they lay into it then it's like no you're just you're just doing a podcast between two phones is what is what you're doing and this this is great or it's not yeah Some, most of the time it's so, you know whatever. there's a thing that comes up on your show often I, I hear this this topic come up on your show which is you know it's getting easier and easier to make and publish your own music um like that's like we, in a way, we don't really need the record labels anymore. We don't actually need any of the distribution platforms. We can actually create in our bedroom and upload to Spotify. It's all, you know, it's all DIY now. Your show is DIY. It always has been. The more we see the creation to distribution, the the, the creation to publication tools become something that everybody can do. Like I am, I am so excited to see what people do with this. I mean, some of it I don't love. Like, I don't love the fact that a lot of musicians are just Instagram musicians now, and we don't actually have them. Like, you know, there's this new type of musician that doesn't write music. Yeah. They never play live. They just, like, play 15 seconds at a time on Instagram, and they get hugely popular somehow. I'm yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, um, but, uh, but not to time, shake your cane at. I agree. That's, that's something that's like, oh, okay, fine. But. but I'm the old man there. I mean, maybe if that maybe that's an entirely new genre that we've never seen before. It's going to be groundbreaking in the future is this, uh, is this type of thing. Who knows? And I have to be, we all have to be open, open to it all. Otherwise, we're just going to be those old guys that like that crusty old music. Um, yeah, I mean, like, whatever. Like, I'm the guy that's still producing, you know, for the most part, like a two-hour show for for every one of these. But the whole point of it is it goes in depth. That that's that's the point. And yeah. like, I feel like there's like I don't apologize for it. It's like that's the show. You don't like it? Listen to something else. There's plenty of stuff out there. Like you know, like you oh, probably you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you, you probably know this. This is another thing I learned uh, as a podcaster. I'm jumping around like crazy, but it's kind of fun. So for the show, uh, yeah, it's okay. The, uh, the, the thing I learned was like, um, the longer you talk, the more, like the more true everything gets. It's yeah. like, uh, the, the truth comes out. It wants people get comfortable when you're talking. I'm like this LT. I, I host a podcast every week. And for the first five minutes, I, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, I need to be warmed <laughs> up. And then, then I like actually turn into a host. Um, yeah, and yeah like, once, uh, once you get like, once you get into the rhythm of it, you know, you get past swear. that initial, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why the, these hosts have these spiels that they do at the beginning. It's not, it's, it's not branding. It's so that they can get in the zone. Um, it, it, but, it's, uh, it's like setting your workstation up to record, you know, it's like you get, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally. you're doing the ritual to do the thing. And like, there yeah. are times where, where, not to interrupt, sorry, which is exactly what I did, but there are times I'm like, I don't feel like doing this. Like, I don't feel like doing this right now at all. But then like, mm-hmm. I, I just go through it, do the intro. And then by the time I'm done with that, I'm like, you know what? I feel like doing this. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. That to- and, and, and it has and nothing it's to do with the guests, to be clear. This is, this, is all, this is all Conan stuff. This is, this is all stuff within me and my head. Well, it probably happens more with the guests than you realize. Because a lot of guests, I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of people. I have a podcast that's in a very specific industry. Um, and so, and it's... Uh, do you, do you want to actually mention? You've never actually mentioned my name, I don't think. But my my podcast keyword yeah. crypto. Yeah. Oh no, I, I so I, for the last few years, I uh, I have a 
I have a podcast that is about cryptocurrencies. Yeah. It started in 2017, 2018. Um, and I, it was a podcast I started because I wanted, I, I wanted to learn about them. I didn't know how to. It seemed like it was really hard to learn on the internet. So I just started interviewing people that I met. And, uh, you know, we've interviewed like the founder of ethereum we've in, interviewed a bunch of a bunch of uh cryptocurrency founders that's been a pretty cool project for me personally because it entered a world that i was unfamiliar with and it is so outside my bubble my like progressive leftist bubble just walked into like libertarian <laughs> citadel or whatever and i'm yeah, like holy exactly. shit they don't want me here <laughs> so i quickly we quickly became like the only leftist podcast in cryptocurrency and not only that but we were actually kind of an not an anti-cryptocurrency but we were an extremely skeptical and irreverent voice in crypto so um which all that yeah stuff so takes that, that's so what happened there serious. all that well all that uh all that crypto stuff takes itself so seriously like it's just like everything is so serious with cryptocurrency or it's all memes it's, it's one or the other <laughs> it's like <laughs> or it's just like yeah complete nonsense exactly <laughs> or it's just a, a dog yeah a, a doge it's um so that that's um that was like that was interesting for me and what i was saying before was that we were talking to a lot of people who were not used to being personalities like a computer programmer who has basically just been coding for the last you know 10 years to make the perfect crypto wall or whatever isn't isn't really set up to to socially lead people necessarily sometimes they are sometimes they're really good at that and that's something that social media really helps with like you know, twitter and and uh, and instagram and stuff but you give somebody a microphone that isn't used to talking and they really need to warm up sometimes it takes them a while to get to the point where, where they're actually like talking from from deep down so that's cool yeah, and that's something where I feel like that's the perfect kind of thing for a podcast, though, because it's it's a it's you know for the world at large, it's a niche interest. Like it's something that people don't necessarily know a lot about. But oh, I've heard about that. what is that? Let me you know let me hear about this. Like it's something that you can learn podcasting or crypto. Oh, I was thinking about your podcast about crypto, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. I guess really, I guess either. Uh, but the the idea that you know you can kind of enter that world uh, through a way that. It's comfortable to you and yeah. uh, and, and learn yeah, something new cool. about it. And I mean, ideally, like not to turn it back around, but I hope that's what people find with this show as well as to, you know, there, there's a certain ethos, a motif. There's a, certain things that I like to talk about with people. And, yeah. well, you know, some people would maybe have Jeff Byron on and only talk about the Meishi and like and like I love the Meishi and want to talk about the Meishi. But I think all this stuff is fascinating. I think the app is fascinating. I think that the fact that you're using podcast podcasting as a basically an opportunity to kind of increase your own knowledge. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, when you, when you have a podcast, you are basically inviting the world to your educational experience. I feel like, Absolutely. you know, I would agree with We're that. creating social networks. Like the social network is you, is you and all your guests and everyone who helps you make the show. And that, that is a thing. Any type of social network, the kind of, purpose of it is to bring like-minded people together or or not like-minded people bring them together so they can hopefully have a discussion about what they 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 aren't minded about yeah have, Which, some, have, have some have some good conflict and have some bad conflict yeah i mean at least <laughs> at least in the world of crypto there were very very few like if you were like a, a progressive left-leaning person and you walked into that world you'd be like just get me out of here like 
there it, it, now there's a, now there's actually a, a way that you can you know find you can find other people that that share the same uh, political beliefs and stuff like that there's a there's a multiple former guests of the show i won't out this person specifically but is uh, super into crypto and uh, hmm. the, the thought has occurred to me that i need need to hook you up because this person is uh also done some interesting music stuff as well so i i don't know if i it, it, should I speak so clandestinely about this? It's not like I'm saying that they're into like weird sex stuff or anything. I mean, no, no. I think some people like to, like to stay relatively anonymous about it because yeah. e- either they're embarrassed about the fact that they're interested in it, or they just don't want people to know that they've got stash stashes of money. Yeah. But usually that's not the case. I mean, somebody who is interested in, I mean, no, I, I don't. I don't feel like it's. Any, I never. I don't care about keeping it uh, private personally, but. Um, yeah, but I mean, I have an entire podcast about it, and I share it with everyone anyway. I think for a while it was whenever you're doing something. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's related to the world of finance, which was something that I always was disgusted by as, as a young person. You know, like you're gonna you're gonna go trade stocks. Like, get the fuck away from me! I don't want to have anything to do with you. Right. But the, and this is related to the whole uh, to uh, game thing. game <laughs> stuff thing. It's like you know what. Actually, this concept of Bitcoin, which I have lots of opinions about Bitcoin, but the concept of it is to take the power away from the people who've created the money, which may or may not be a good thing, may or may not be, we don't know. And it's to allow people who actually use the stuff to make the decisions. And that, I think, is a really good question to ask. So it's like, it's a, it's about bringing power to the people. Power to the power. Ameshi <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, which is a great segue back over to the Meishi. Uh, well, I also think it's like, you know, is file sharing a good thing or bad thing? Well, it's a thing that has to be dealt with. Is it a good or bad thing? That depends on, you know, where you're where you're coming from. File sharing, I'm talking about everything. And, you know, file sharing was a, was a big deal, big hot topic mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Um, yeah. But like streaming services, right? Is Spotify a good thing or a bad thing? Well, you know, bit of column A, bit of column B. It depends on who you are. It depends on what your worldview is. And it's changed things. It has changed the way people yeah. listen to music. And is that a good or bad thing? Well, yeah. again, depends on where you're coming from. Just having the conversation is is good in my opinion. Like even questioning these things this is the problem with uh, you know our world and our country is we just haven't questioned whether the systems that we have are good or bad. And then when you look at them, it's like, actually, the police are fucking terrible and they've never been good. We should have gotten rid of them a long time ago. Like that... <laughs> We we need to question them, like questioning the 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 Fed or the the uh, the central bank. Like sure, like we had to occupy Wall Street or whatever, but we never even thought like, well, what if we made our own money? Like, yeah. Um, or, or or this thing is in at least in crypto, there's this idea of let's let's bring financial services to people in the world who haven't haven't had them. Maybe people in third world countries or whatever. Now, personally, like. I have uh, uh, opinions about people's so-called altruism in yeah, in, a, in a place where they're also gambling to try to get rich, you know. Right. It's going to so, profit motive like, with that altruism, so it's not that altruistic. Right. <laughs> but the fact that we're having the conversation about people even needing financial services, I think, is really cool, and that like now that's even something that people are trying to do. Yeah. So yeah. Well, Damn, I, lots of to- lots of topics on this show. It's yeah, cr- yeah, I was gonna say, awesome. well, you know, it's, you're, you're a fellow who has done a lot of Talk things, continues to do a lot of things. So it's like one of those things where I, I, I want to touch a little bit of all of it because I think it's potentially interesting. Um, I think that it, 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 look with the Meishi, 
I, I feel like part of the appeal of the Meishi was like you kind of never knew what was going to happen next to a certain degree. Like there's a pop sensibility to all of it, but it was sort of like. Yeah. I used to call it surprise music. Yeah, I was going to say, it almost seemed like it was a, a surprise to you guys as to what was going to happen next, like the audience. <laughs> it was. It seriously was. Well, we had this, you know, like, you know, Fugazi would do that thing where anybody, anyone in, in the band could start playing a song at any time. And we, we did that same thing um, on stage where there was no set list. It was basically, if you wanted if you wanted to play the next song, you had to start it or you needed to somehow get somebody to start it or shout at somebody. Yeah. So there was a lot of spontaneity. And of course, we just like, we would screw up all the time and have to figure out how to make these mistakes just part of the show. <laughs> and there's one time that, that, that we had this song called Do This. We do this all the time. We do this all the time. Like it literally, the way that we that song came about was we were playing a show at the Echo and in the middle of the song, Brad, our drummer, just gets up tosses his drums over and starts screaming, do this, we do this all the time. My brother and I are looking at a Tim, who's the bass player in the band. We're looking at each other like, what the heck is going on? What's happening? We, we, better, we better run with this. So we started shouting too. We're all running around the entire place, not playing instruments anymore, just screaming, we do this all the time. We do that. After the show, we were like, Brad, what happened? And he said, I got tired and I couldn't play drums anymore. So I needed to do something. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So all I like, he needed water. Like he didn't know he had to stop playing his drums. He was too tired. It was a sweaty, gross room, and he had to jump yeah. up. And that was the way he dealt with it. And I think that that was that. That's just kind of how we dealt with a lot of life situations. Um, totally, it was a fun band, man. Really frustrating too. I mean, because that as 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 fun as that system sounds, man, it's full of failure as well. I mean, how many things did not work out where we'd all start different songs at the same time? <laughs> That's <laughs> free jazz. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it, and then it, we yell at each other, yell at each other afterwards. No, you were starting the wrong song. No, you were right. <laughs> a lot of passive aggressive dealing with each other. But but it made for a very uh, fun experience, and, and just kind of seemed, you know, uh, to the outside, it was like, wow, I this is I don't quite know what to expect next, but I bet it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, kind of mindset, e- even if you got you know, it, and most times you did, but even if you. I saw some of those moments where you wouldn't land it, but it was like, but it was just like <laughs> such a quick recovery and just like, well, was that planned? Was that it? And then, I was, and then after I got to know you guys like, Oh no, that definitely wasn't planned. Like somebody screwed that up. But, <laughs> but yeah. from the perspective of just your casual listener, they're maybe not going to pick up on that. Yeah. Well, and they either weren't going to pick up on it or they were, and they were going to like it. I mean, it's kind of like the, it's when, when something that's genuine, I mean, I'm thinking, uh, uh, dog face Fleetwood Mac guy um, yeah. on the skateboard. Like totally. you see, you see, you see that happen. I think that especially in places like the UK would see us perform like that and not really care. And it was like, whoa, well, this is really fun. Like that. I think there was some, when when you tell when you when you show up to play a show and you say we're having a good time. We don't. It's okay if we make mistakes. Everybody in that building can make mistakes. It's okay join us that sort of thing at least that's the way i thought about it maybe that was just my excuse for not being very good at playing my <laughs> instrument well but no but you had intent behind it and and, and like mm-hmm. that was that that real sense of adventure but also sincerity with it was was a very vital part of what made that band what it was and what what made it kind of 
interesting in a way that uh, maybe sonic hallmarks of other bands around that time, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds like this, this, and this. But it's like mm-hmm. it kind of hit a little different because of that, because it was all you guys, and you had this Fugazi-like mindset, I guess we'll, we'll attribute to them, of, <laughs> you know, anything can happen. We don't even know what's going to happen. We didn't next. come up with it, yeah. <laughs> well, that that lasted for a while, but the the I think the... The one truth about playing music and being an entertainer, and, you know, you might not think of yourself as an entertainer if you just play in a rock band, but you are. Um, the one thing about it is that eventually you do have to do the same thing over and over again. And that's something that Slim Moon actually taught me, too. He was like, eventually you got to do the same thing. He's like, imagine you went to go see uh, Nirvana and they, Kurt Cobain didn't smash his guitar at the end of the show. You'd feel ripped off. Like, he's got to do it. It's part of the show. It's like Alice Cooper getting beheaded, you know? <laughs> it's part of the show. Uh, yeah, totally. I, uh, and, and, and eventually the Meishi had a show like that where we actually played the same songs every night. But the, the, the cool thing about that is that we did have a show put together the spontaneity was in how people reacted to what we were doing because we had props and we had, you know, synchronized dances and costume changes and stuff like that. And I know that stuff all sounds, you know, goofy and kitschy and it was, but at the same time there, we were like really kind of down to earth and lo-fi about it. I mean, we'd pass out all our instruments at the end of the show. Yeah. I mean like real just chaos theory in action. uh, (laughs) I mean, Sometimes to a great degree, and some and sometimes of, of like, oh wow, okay, that that went a that went a different way than I thought I was going to, but, uh, you know, in a way that was infectious, uh, and and I don't mean that as in like you know a deadly disease, but I mean like infectious, uh, uh, the enthusiasm. I hope so. <laughs> I, I, it, I'm, I mean like yeah, I hope so. It was fun. Well, I mean we we often would sing all at the same time too, and that's pretty infectious, especially when you're just doing an acapella. Like, what punk bands do acapellas really? Uh, <laughs> uh, and we would do that, and we'd run out into the audience, and you know, I played wireless like the Oxes, and and uh, and so it's just I'll try to be as inclusive as possible. I grew up I grew up at a time where where music was 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 very intimidating. You would go to the Jabberjaw and you'd look up and you'd see the lights and the heat and the band and like it would be really intense and and there was a real separation between me and the audience and those bands that I idolized. And I think that in the Meishi we really wanted to remove that make it we're all in the same place. Dan Deacon does the same thing where he plays on the floor and he gets everybody around them to have exact same, the same party that he's having. And I think that, yeah, we were just, we were just doing that same thing. That was definitely a part of the aughts, the, the mid two thousands. That was part of the way you made music at the smell and pair space in those places. Yeah. And I think, you know, bands like lightning bolt and stuff kind of made people start thinking about, you know, what a performance is and like, you know, how can you, mm-hmm. how can you change, how can you subvert the dominant paradigm in, in a way that's like cool and interesting? Yeah. Uh, that's the creativity is the name of the game. And like, and fortunately, like so many of the other artists that we were making music with and so many of the venues were, they understood that. Um, and like would let you, you know, play a show on the roof or whatever, or whatever, or, you know, you know play, play at the, the back, back of the club. club. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> Can you, can you, I I really don't remember. I wonder if it's still like that now. I wonder, I mean, we, it's because of COVID and because of the, you know, the inability to travel and tour. I'm really, I'm really curious to see what the future is going to be like in that regard. I know that there was, there are a couple, there are a couple teams working on making mobile apps 
for like house shows where like if you're a touring band you know like if you're a touring band and you need a place to both crash and play and make like you know two hundred dollars or something like that you can join this sort of social network of people who put on shows in their basements i don't know if that ever got built but it seemed like stuff like that was going to be something that people could use in the future i mean when i first started touring we didn't even have cell phones so like yeah we, I mean, we we had, we had to bring like a Thomas guide with us and yeah, stuff. Yeah, That's yeah, how old yeah, we Atlas, you know, I, I, uh-huh. I don't get, yeah, like. And like hope that, how many times would you show up to play a show at a venue and there would be no one there and then somebody would come out of the back and say like, oh yeah, I thought that the show was canceled, sorry. And <laughs> yeah, be like, exactly. well, we just drove to Lincoln, Nebraska and now here we are. And, <laughs> Like, well, um, all right. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, you know, in the same way that Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a, a completely different movie with cell phones, you know, like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like in, in yeah. that same sort of way. <laughs> but the technology could actually be very conducive to like, like DIY and, and indie music, I think. Like, r- right now, everything that we've talked about on this show is about democratizing something, making yeah. it something that the, that the entire world can use. I don't see why that has to change for. I, I think I, I see a place for that in uh, in independent music more well, so than ever. Maybe yeah. when uh, quarantine's over and uh, we we get past uh, this COVID stuff, maybe we can we can develop the uh, <laughs> you know what is the the, the Tinder plus Airbnb of, of house shows. Like, I don't know how to how to phrase <laughs> yeah. this, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's not going to be for a while now, unfortunately. But, but I think you will I see mean, it in in non traditional spaces and like cafes and basements and stuff before you see it at larger venues. I think th- you know for better or for worse, unfortunately. Yeah. But that's a well, different I, story. I think that we go we go through periods of open mindedness as a culture of what we can tolerate, and I'm really lucky that that period of time in the mid 2000s, people were very open. At least a lot of the people that we were performing for, a lot of people were really open minded to doing something a little bit different. And I don't know if that changed. I didn't notice as much of it in the 2010s, but. Um, right now once we can actually start playing shows again once we can start performing i think people will be so starving for live entertainment that it'll just be like give me anything like oh you you got you you know you've got an an acoustic guitar just let me hear you play it you know that that yeah. sort of thing i mean if i were to hear somebody busking in a subway station i would be really stoked right now well yeah um, i think i think you'll see people engage in a far deeper level than maybe they they would be before and uh, at least for a while you know un- until we're able to be like, oh yeah, I'll try to make it out. Just not have the judgment. I mean, the, like a band like the the Meishi survived on people like not judging us. I mean, a lot of people did judge us, but when 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 you when you allow somebody to do what they're what they want to do, even if you don't like it, but say, hey, they're they're doing it. That's good for them. They've got a finished product. They've got a they've got a performance. They've got a live show. I don't like what they're doing, but I'm really stoked that you know they're growing. And I think that I would love to see more of that. I'd love to see a, a healthier, happier um, DIY music space. But I am all sunshine, sunshine and rainbows, I guess. Can you tell us a little about the records? So, so like Terrorbird, for instance. Like, tell us about where the band was at with that. And that's a wild record. Like, even even knowing because I came into you guys Terrorbird. like before, I think you had CDRs of to hit Armor Class Zero, if I remember correctly, <laughs> when we first met. And I was like, what are these guys? Right. All right, what are they up to? Oh man, this is really fun to talk about. It's like telling war stories or something. Yeah. Um, where were we at with uh, with Terrorbird? So. Terrorbird was the first record that we made together as a band with with Brad. To hit Armor Class Zero was actually recorded with a different drummer. 
I think his name was Jerry. <laughs> like I, I don't remember. I, you don't remember. <laughs> I don't honestly don't remember our drummer because he we like knew him very briefly. Played on the recording, and then he, I think he was, I think he was suspected of of like some major theft because he split town and like turns out there was this huge robbery at a school. <laughs> Anyway, wow, so okay. um, yeah, there's another story there. But anyway, the Terror Bird was. Uh, hold on, let me transport myself back. We yeah. made it in my <laughs> most. We recorded a lot of it at a house that Ezra was renting. So Ezra was Ezra and Brad were still at Cal Arts. They were sitting at Cal Arts, um, and um, um, so so we, we did we did some recording there, and the rest of it was made in my bedroom in Koreatown. I lived in this house with like a bunch of uh, Koreatown and, and Silver Lake people that I ended, I ended up hating living there because it was so scenestery. Um, but we actually, I would set up, I would, I would bring out these big card tables or these, you know, those big folding tables and I would line my, my room with it. And we'd have four computers, like desktop computers that we'd set up. And each, each computer was running a different type of software and we were, uh, we we're putting it together piecemeal. And so that record was just all over the place. And all those songs were like, man, we've got like a 30 second thing here. We've got a two second thing here. We've got a three minutes long song. Yeah. And it was, it took us a long time to put it together because we didn't really know what we were doing. We were kind of making it up as we went along. I mean, we were using like, I think Tim's computer was running Pro Tools with like a 002. I was running like Nuendo or something weird like that. Uh, we had Ableton Live. It was just like we didn't. We just had all this these tools and music. We had a million instruments in the band, just trying to do it all. Ezra had his Ezra had his Buchla uh, synth. So Ezra's father, Don Buchla, was an innovative synth designer in the 1960s, and Ezra would tr tour and play with this this modular synth. Modular synths are pretty common now, but in 2003 and 2004, they, they weren't really. Definitely were not at the time, yeah. <laughs> and like, what the is thing, that? <laughs> yeah. I, it was an amazing sounding thing. It sounded like the 70s, 60s, but it would break like every other night, and we'd have to like put it back together every, every show. Because um, <laughs> it's uh, sort of like yeah. well, it was meant to be in a pristine environment and not meant to be like in a punk rock show, yeah, basically. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Not to be in like a sweaty, damp environment <laughs> with people jumping on it. <laughs> Uh, we recorded the guitars were done in the in the closet. Um, yeah, it's it was yeah. I that's well. The cool thing about that is we we were making music for one thing. I remember is we were making music for our friends. I thought like I thought that was the what made it really special for me. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't like we had a band and songs and we were going to make a brand and we were going to take you know photos and we were going to send it to every um you know music magazine i mean we did that stuff but it was more like we want to make sure that everyone coming to the show is having a great time and we want to incorporate all of our friends and we actually ended up making a dvd with you know with like 30 videos on it that we you know hired our friends to make we asked our friends to make animated videos and homemade videos and we put it all together I mean, it was kind of a ridiculous thing that we ended up losing a lot of money on because we, <laughs> we we had Kill Rockstars release it, but um, but like it was all about incorporating as many people as possible. Just like the live show was about bringing people up on stage and stuff like that. I think that's really what Terrorbird was about was figuring finding our audience. I mean, we we uh, yeah we had the same people would come. We 
same people would come to all our shows and they were all of our friends. So we were really lucky. We were really lucky to have friends that liked our band. Well, and it's something where it it makes for, I I think it makes for an interesting listen, even if you didn't have that history though, because, uh, you know, it's got that, I guess the, the disingenuous way to say it would be like ADD sort of element, but it jumps around from like idea to idea. And even just the repetitions Mm -hmm. is, is sort of like, Oh, wow. And mm-hmm. to me, it was like, that's great because it's, re- it's repetitive and it's repetition, but there's things that are different about the repetitions. And like, that's right. for me, it's yeah. like that, that's like, I mean, that's a product made for me, like clearly where it's like, oh, of course I'm the guy for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We would write, we would write, write sequels to songs yeah, and exactly. stuff like that. And, and, yeah. and you know, that's very much, uh, stuff for the, it's for the people that it's for. And, and I think yeah. that's something that when people would latch onto it, they would latch onto it hard and it would be something that would mean a lot to them. Yeah, it was like we we had inside jokes, or we were making musical memes for people, uh, <laughs> little little things like that. The musical I memes mean, of the Mishi. There you go. That's the that's the book. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it was. It would be little themes and things like that. I mean, on we have an album called Heartbeeps, where there's like three or four songs that are titled Heartbeeps on it. Like yeah. they're all different songs, and they have the same title. And there's a you know, they all kind of sound. There's some things that sound similar. And, but uh, yeah, it's art. It's allowed to be confusing. Um, yeah, writing sequels to songs using the exact same part from another song. Like, yeah, it, a, a lot of the ways that we would write music would be uh, either rip off somebody else completely. Be like, I'm. There would be times where like Tim would say, "Hey Jeff, play like you know, Hot for Teacher on guitar," and I <laughs> and I play it, and I'm like, I play it all wrong, and I'd be like, right. "Play," and then Tim would be like, "No, but that's good. Do that instead." Yeah, yeah, but that's awesome. And, uh, whatever that you whatever you just did is great. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and like that, uh, there was a lot of that. There was, um, there was, uh, there was. So there was stuff that was stolen. Um, good artists borrow, great artists steal. So a lot of stuff was just playing up stolen, but then we'd steal from ourselves. If there was yeah. a part of a song that worked really well or that I really liked, I'd have no problem starting another song with the exact same part. Um, and then when we play it live, it's really fun because people who know the songs, they don't know, like I'll start a song and they still don't know which one it is. Right. <laughs> like, you're like, well, it could be that, <laughs> but it could also be this other one too. Yeah. Yeah. And, totally. then, and then I think it's, it's something that the Meishi managed to pull off something pretty unique, which is a, a relatively major uh, lineup shift without really changing the core principles of, of what made the band cool in its way. It kind of just sort of directed towards different ways, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that looking back at how, how that band developed in that way was really kind of weird because it wasn't just that we got to understand it at the time. At the time I was like, what's going on? What? (laughs) It's, it was really strange. Like for me, like it didn't make sense. Like the, the idea of changing members of a band, but keeping the same name, that was like something that like a band, like, I don't know, like, like Boston would do or something like, like, like you know, like something, someone that really needs their brand name. Like we were a band on killer Rockstars. We didn't need our brand. I mean, the brand, the name was important, but it was more like a, it was a weird thing for us to do. So we, we, Ezra and Ezra quits. Um, he didn't want to play anymore. It was, uh, so we, we went on this kind of year long search to find a new vocalist. And we ended up working with, um, our best friend, John, he was like, a he was at every show. He was like basically our biggest fan. And that was kind of the joke is that we, we asked our biggest fan to sing in our band and, uh, and that, but the really weird thing about that transition was that we, 
we made a new record and it wasn't on 5RC. It wasn't on Killer Rock Stars. Instead, we released it in Europe. We released it ourselves in the US and we released it on Moshi Moshi in Europe and the UK. And for them, it was like a debut record. Yeah, and they like the promoted first record. It. It's like, hey, there's this new band called the Meishi and they sound like yes. this. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the way they promoted it because nobody would have known our other stuff and it was with a different singer. Yeah. So we would go over to Europe and and we got a lot of we got a we got much better known in Europe because we had a couple songs and commercials and stuff like that. Like just Run to Your Grave was one was the song on the on um on on our record that people seem to know and that was interesting because we'd go to europe and it was like we're a new band and in the u.s people know like you know us from the terror bird with ezra singing and then we'd go to europe and all of a sudden we're like a we're like a different band and everybody thinks it's our debut record yeah and nobody knows any of the old songs <laughs> right. so oh, that, that was, when's that what's that one coming out uh that's from the first record dude <laughs> Yeah, totally. And they'd listen to it. And they'd be like, that's that his voice is squeakier than this guy's, you know, it's just yeah. like, uh, but I, I, at the same time, it kind of just fit with the weirdness of the Meishi anyway. Like we'd play shows in, in the U.S. where we'd have six people on stage because we'd be playing with, you know, Cor- Corey and Brad and Ezra and John. Um, and like, it would be a mess. Towards the end, we we hired a manager. We hired a manager at a pretty big uh, artist management firm network. And he, he, cause we were getting popular, you know, he, he thought that, you know, a major label was going to sign us or something like that. We had a poppy crazy sound. Yeah. And that was really interesting because he tried to conceptual, he tried to turn us into a concept and that was really <laughs> hard. He was like trying to put us into a box, yeah. you know, he actually told us like, Hey, when you guys play shows, maybe you should just decide on one singer. <laughs> because people don't know what to look at you know people don't know what to pay attention to um instead of you guys all trying to steal the spotlight at the same time uh, and that was a pretty weird time for the band but yeah we made that transition and um unlike pitchfork liked it when that really meant something you know like that was something that got some people in the door that maybe wouldn't weren't in there before you know it's it was i remember i was stoked for you guys when that happened i was like whoa Cause that's... yeah, got really good reviews on that record and, um, and yeah. And then the, the, some of the popularity in the, in the UK was great. I wouldn't call it popularity. It was kind of like all of a sudden we could, we wouldn't be playing to no one anymore. That's that curiosity. Was the... Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But what more, what more so than that, we had just had a home there. We had a yeah, record label. Yeah, yeah, we had people exactly. to take care of that, like people to help us book a tour. And, and like, that was, that was really, really neat. Cause we're just so used to, I mean, we're an American punk band that we're just like, we've resigned to the fact that we're going to do everything our, ourselves. Kind of the way that I still make music today. It's like, <laughs> it would be great to work in the studio with a producer. I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of the same thing with the band. And we started to, you know, we never had a tour manager or anything. We always did that ourselves. We'd have a driver, but no no tour manager. And those were fun times. And it was really hard going to, like, like traveling that much. Well, what, what, what happened was is we were, we were going to stay on 5RC in the U.S., but it didn't look like we were going to be able to tour because of issues with the with the band and people's work schedules so we're like you know what we're not going to tour we're just going to release stuff on the internet and occasionally put out videos and when which, as a con- which as a concept is rather prescient for those times considering totally. you know look at today yeah. but yeah, yeah. we would have been fine today 
but, but Kill Rockstar's basic said, well, if you're not going to tour, we can't put out your record, which totally made sense. And so we decided to do ourselves, and then John joined the band, and it turns out we were touring anyway all the time. We would yeah. like be gone, you know, months for months out of the year. We'd be on the road, and uh, yeah, and that's when, uh, yeah, totally. And that just got to be t- totally crazy for me because it was, you know, personal time in my life going through that and trying trying to put on an a really fun, joyous show every night when I'm depressed and I actually am not enjoying it. Yeah. It was, it was just, it was an unsustainable thing for me and it got to a breaking point. And finally, yeah, I, I, I left the band and kind of things kind of fell apart, unfortunately, which but we're all friends now. Which, which, yeah. Which to a certain degree was almost like, that's like Malcolm Young and Angus Young quitting ACDC. Like, how does that work? <laughs> well, that was kind of, that was kind of funny. Cause so in the, in the end, um, well, it was like we were, it was like a, it was like a brand. So, yeah. so by the end, by the time I left, there was no more original members in the band. <laughs> right. Like, like a starship or something or yeah. Wait, and, no, starship had the one dude. I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, there's like no, Grace Quick, I think, right. Yeah, she was yeah. always, there, she, but, she was there but, until, until like the like early nineties, I think. But I think the, the one guy, anyway, whatever that we all know what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and but that was kind of when I left, it was no more original members. And then, and then John and Bill and Jacob, they, they started playing as signals. Yeah. They're um, like, we're a different band. Yeah. We're called, this is called signals now. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, okay, I mean, cool. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and, and, and signals put out some awesome music too. And they yeah. kept on playing shows and stuff like that. And eventually John did sig- signals as a solo thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of wish it, it could have kept going. I feel like, I don't know. A lot of people probably feel like this with their music projects, but yeah, it's. Uh, we, I feel like what, when does thing when do creative projects ever really end? They never <laughs> end for me. Like in my head, I'm still making, yeah. writing Meiji songs. So, um, yeah. So, but, uh, and, and this has been great. It's it's, uh, it's been way too long since I had you on. So I'm, I'm glad we got the opportunity to to do this. Um, I feel like we've talked a couple times, but I was like, oh, but he hasn't come on the show. And so the fact that we're able to do this and tie it in with some new music, which I'm very excited for people to hear yeah, totally. and to be engaged with is, is all the better. And actually, I guess before all that, um, how how are how are people how should people prepare themselves uh, for Wavebreaker? Like, should they be saving things on Spotify, Bandcamp? Like, what's the oh. what's the rollout <laughs> method here? Glad you asked because we have a very different approach to promoting this record. Um, the so again, it's very easy to make music yourself and record it and publish it and get it out there. It's very very hard to get people to care about what you're doing <laughs> because too much of it everywhere. And the thing is, it's like to to put out a record now and tell everybody they need to pay attention to it. It's just like, am I, are we really going to go through this all over again? Are we going to pay thousands to a prom- promotional company to send it out to college radio stations? Are we going to, you know, are we going to send out, you know, seven inches and, 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 um, and promos and stuff ourselves? Like, what is going to be the process? Are we going to try to get on Spotify lists? Are we going to have a TikTok campaign? Like, uh, like w- are we going to do that? And, and it's like, you know, what we need to do is we need to figure out who is actually going to enjoy these songs and, and, and how they're going to be used and with the content, the way it is and how, how they represent change. 
I think what we're what we're going to do is we're going to try to kind of give these songs out to to organizations that need music. Like um, like Dana works for an organization called Skate Like a Girl, and skate like a girl where they work with young people and they teach uh, teach people how to skate and stuff like that they always play music all the time so we're basically going to say like just excuse me hit my mic we're going to say you know take this music like you know you don't have to play it but like we want to make music that supports your cause um we want to we we want the music to show up in a different place and i know that's very risky because you have to you have to promote music as as a product, unfortunately. And in order to do that, you have to find the market, Ugh, product, market, all this stuff that I really, we all hate, right? We all hate thinking of our music as a product. But trying to get it to the people who are going to like it the most, it seems to me that the traditional ways of doing that are either too hard or too expensive, and they aren't going to serve the purpose that the, we want the music to serve anyway. Um, and so we are going to try some different avenues for, for, um, for, for releasing it, for getting it out there and we'll see how it goes. And when we're talking to, to other, other, you know, other organizations, Dana, Dana works for, um, a nonprofit up here called save the redwoods. Yeah, there yeah, great in really great nonprofit. Yeah. yeah. I, I knew of them before she started working there and I was like, Oh, that's awesome. If, if we can get to, more newsletters and and um and blogs and stuff like that that are for causes like that it's kind of a different thing when you say okay there's this band that's putting all their energy into protecting this this thing or raising money for this cause or whatever it is we're playing you know um benefit shows or you know that kind of thing it's all of a sudden people who were not normally interested in this rock music might say like, Oh, this is cool. This is really different. Mm -hmm. Bring people in here. We're still going to get people who are interested in, in music through their Spotify playlist and stuff like that. Cause we're probably still going to have to do some kind of promotion there. But, um, and then other than that, it's like, and this is something I tell a lot of my music students. I teach, I teach adults now. I teach at the Academy of art in San Francisco. And a lot of my students ask me like how, how to, how to get their music out there. And the one thing I keep on saying is, I don't know, it's always changing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's ask always again changing. next week, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the more creative that you can be with getting your music to people, the better. Because two years ago, one year ago, nobody thought that you could promote a band with TikTok. It wasn't a thing. Yeah. And like now all of a sudden, we've got all of these different um, mediums for delivering music to people's brains. So the more creative and unique that you can, the more creative and ways, the more creative and unique ways that you can imagine getting music to people's ears, like the better your chances of finding people who genuinely love you. Right. Um, and so that is kind of the theme for getting this record out. It's not, I mean, we'll probably do a limited run of vinyl and, and stuff. And we're probably going to hit up college radio stations as well. But I think it's going to be more about finding those nooks and crannies where our music maybe serves a different purpose or reaches different people. So and hopefully can, can, um, you know, hopefully can benefit, um, some of those marginalized groups. Well, and that's a lovely thing. And what I was, what I was going to, I was going to, I was going to make a joke of some kind that, uh, it was going to be exclusively released through move on.org petitions and, uh, resist bot. But I, I am not in any way, shape or form want to denigrate the, uh, what you're, what you're trying to accomplish here. Uh, because I think that's awesome. 
So I think that that's wonderful. That's lovely. That's a very uh, cool thing to do. It's a very unique thing to do. And I don't understand uh, why more people won't won't or don't do it. I don't know if it's a won't or don't thing. But well, you like you, yeah. I think that well, like I said, uh, you know, earlier in this in this podcast, creativity is king, and it always will be, and it always has been. Sometimes it might not seem like that in whatever you're doing. It might seem like the best approach to something is to do it the way other people have have, have been doing it, but. Um, you know, you're you're always going to get more attention for doing something different. Um, I guess the the only the only thing is that you risk a little bit more. No risk, sure. no reward. No risk. Go big or go home. Uh, so I guess last thing here uh, w- with the show is just um, you know, can question like the last question. Did we do this last time? I can't remember if we did this last time or not. Um, is just uh, why do you do what you do? Well, so, yeah, I guess I wasn't prepared for that question. (laughs) Um, It's it's funny, like, you know, someone like me who has so many different interests and different projects in my hands and so many different things to ask me what I do, what I do is like dividing by zero. It's like, uh, it's like, um, oh, crap, where do I begin? Why do I do? Why do I why do I why do I wake up in the morning? It's to move the needle on things that I care about. It's to. It's to, um, it's to, it's to work on, it's, it's work, work on healing myself, um, unlearning some, a lot of things and learning new things and doing that every single day. And, and, um, and helping other people do the same thing. That's, that's why I do what I do really. I mean, why, yeah, why, why do I, why do I, why do I make music? Why do I, uh, why do I make, uh, software? Why do I teach? It's all to both learn and teach and love everyone. That's what it's for. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. It's been, it's been a blast. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Gunn. And that was a lot of fun. What won't be as long as an interval for next time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally. and next, time, next time you gotta have dana on uh, I, I was gonna say we'll, the, the, we'll have dana on uh sooner rather than later i've, I've actually thought like about it. that independently of you suggesting it by yeah. the dubs talking about Wavebreaker, it's i'm not going to be able to do it justice it's mostly uh, she's she's the one with the real voice in the band so but yeah thank you so much for having me on conan that was great you, you planted some seeds and uh I, i'm eager to see what fruit uh grows from them because i think it's it, it's really great Thank you so much, sir. Have a good one. Take care, brother. Oh, there he goes. Mr. Jeff Byron. Let's hear some tunes. Let's hear a couple of these Waybreaker tunes, huh?
Mr. Jeff Byron and his various bands. We had Power to the Power by Two by the Meishi before that Run to Your Grave, also by the Meishi. Terror Bird and Hell Yeah, specifically. And before that was A Thousand Votes A Thousand Volts by Batwings Catwings. The often forgotten about band kind of in between. Uh, Perfect Swell by Turbo Lightning before that. And then Decompose and Silence is Deafening off of the upcoming Wavebreaker record. So there you go. Name of the show. It's Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Thanks for listening to it, is what I mean to say. Sorry, I dropped my headphones here. Find all things Jeff Byron on uh, this thing called the internet if you've heard of it. <laughs> uh, the, the app is public now. Well, is the app public now? Sorry, is it? I don't know why. I'm, I think it's actually cool as hell. Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Go, uh, go use that. Don't do it. Anyone within the sound of my voice. <laughs> Name of the show is Code Neutron's Protonic Reversal. 50,000 watts of power. It airs uh, Thursdays, usually, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific, on Radio Note. Say yes to Note. This has been another quarantine edition. Protonic. ProtonicReversal.com for the archives. Patreon.com slash ProtonicReversal to support the show. Dollar a month, early access to the episodes. No ads and sponsors, no kidding. Can you hear me now? Thanks for listening, everybody. Out on Route 128, Stay safe out there. And lonely. Take it easy. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
emergency! Uh.